everyone and welcome to the next edition of the VTX podcast. As always, um, at the Veterinary Thought Exchange, we like to start by asking, what are you thinking? And this week, we are really excited to be thinking and chatting um, with the amazing Liz Barton, who talks to us about so many different elements to her veterinary career, from feeling lonely to the creation of the amazing Vet Mums. In our clinical segment today, we are continuing our chat about uroliths uh, and we're talking all things struvite and calcium oxalate. As always, um, I am joined by my friend in life and in podcasting, the amazing Karen. Right, listen, Liz, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I First of all, I realise how busy you are and when in the nicest possible way so obviously I googled you <laughs> before we came on and actually you you do a lot of stuff there's a lot of things going on so um you know even at, I was reading actually your profile on Vet Stego Diversify which is always a good starting starting place for you know for looking at different people and yeah so I think you're like you know admin or something to like a million Facebook groups and different things so we, we'll delve into some of that but I think first of all just um for the listeners if you can just start by introducing yourself and um, you don't have to cover everything so maybe just like the, the basics and then we can go off in whatever direction. Yeah thank you and thanks for having me. Um, yeah I, I have loved being a vet you know again wanted to be a vet from tiny age. I graduated in 2004, was really lucky to have my dream job in a mixed practice in the Lake District, absolutely loved it you know, did find it challenging because you want to know everything all the time. Um, I had some great clinical mentors there. Um, but honest to goodness, I was just getting lonely. Like there aren't really that many young professionals in Cumbria. <laughs> um, so I left my job and actually came down and did a small animal internship at Dick White Referrals um, wow. way back when, 2007, eight, when it was a lot smaller than it is now. And then I had a really clear sort of change point of, you know, do I go in to do a cardiology research position at Liverpool etc or do I stay local and do a week on week off night job so I had both offers on the table and um, it was basically like family illness and things like all my family are down south my mum was bed bound my sister-in-law was in hospital and um, I'd met a guy down here and I was like you know sliding doors moment let's do the week on week off um, night vet job um, so yeah I, I easily could have gone down the referral route but since then I've, I've really enjoyed being a GP vet um, so I've obviously done a lot of ECC work and um, then did shelter medicine and regular GP veterinary work once I got a bit fed up of feeling shattered all the time um, and, uh, and then obviously had kids and it was really around the time of having kids I just found I was developing other interests I was like yeah veterinary's all right but you know I'm quite we went away on holiday and I remember taking like manufacturing for dummies with me because I was going to set up my own clothing oh, line at one stage, cool. you know. Right. So, okay. yeah, I was always destined to do something different. Um, and it was through talking to people. So, you know, anyone out there that's kind of thinking, oh, I'm not sure what I'm interested in. I just went to loads of meetups um, and mixed with lots of non-veterinary people, just had lots of conversations. Um, this coincided with an increasing concern about the well-being particularly friends and colleagues um I was in quite a fortunate position in my career I was quite kind of confident secure and happy and doing part-time work and being mum um and so I just spent my evening starting to develop and curate um and make more accessible some of the well-being resources that were out there so sort of developed a website 
posted it on Vetstego Diversify when there was 800 members in the group. That was when I joined it. And then Ebony was like, oh, this sounds cool. Why don't you join our working group? And then it's just gone kind of every direction from there, like just doors opened everywhere, pushed some of them, walked through others, others shut, you know, and just tried lots of different stuff. And yeah, kind of wound up now somehow squiggly career journey as the head of communications for vet ct wow <laughs> so, my goodness yeah. there you go so just there's i mean there's so many i, I feel like i should be writing all this down. Like, i feel <laughs> frantically like oh i need to ask about that i, need, I, need I, I had to, to write it down I okay <laughs> yeah so um so the, just actually there was a couple of things a couple of things that stood out there i really not to to go off track too much but you did say a really interesting thing just as you were beginning to speak then about your first job and 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 that really stood out for me actually you said that you felt lonely mm. and I think that's that's I mean I was just like oh right you know that and I think that is such an important thing to pay some sort of um airtime to because that's quite a that's hard as a young newly graduated person in in your dream job in mixed practice and you're like oh no but I feel really lonely I mean that's quite hard to then sort of deal with no yeah absolutely and you know I I had friends around me great friends you know within the practice and things um I was a member of a local church and you know was, was going there regularly and had some good friends there but there just weren't any sort of young professionals mm. um the people that I'd sort of been at university with and you know as vets all your friends are really dispersed around the country I was dating a guy for a while who was in Yorkshire <laughs> you know it's like two hour drive to see him mm. um and I just missed that. You know, I actually grew up mm. in Surrey and I was used to kind of popping into London of a weekend. So mm-hmm. I love the Lake District. So I'd much rather spend my half day going up Blencathra <laughs> than heading into London. But mm-hmm. uh, honestly, as a, a single woman, particularly before I had a dog, I'd be walking up the fells and I'd get so many funny looks from people like, what's a young girl doing out here on her mm. own on a Wednesday afternoon? I actually felt really uncomfortable. And I was like... Gosh. I need like a walking buddy and things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. I'm just lonely. Yeah, it's really no, it's really interesting actually. That's really interesting. I uh, you so then obviously part of your, if we can call it diversification. I love that word diversification. I just think it's a good word. Um, but part of that is obviously this focus on uh, wellness and well being. So I, I don't know if you want to just talk a little bit more about that and how you know. And how all those stars aligned. Funnily, Karen, yeah. actually, e- Ebony's name came up again. Ebony comes up so again? much on the podcast. <laughs> such a, she's such a legend, such a legend. But yeah, so how? tell us about that kind of well-being, the development of that side of what you do. Yeah, so um, initially it was literally most of the people that I was speaking to just weren't very happy. And I'd been through some rough patches. You know, I think we all have. Um, but it got to a phase where... You know, I was speaking to friends on the phone and they were crying. I was going to work and people were crying, you know, and I was just like, oh, I can't. I don't know how to help people. Like I'm not a well-being coach or anything, but I need to do something. And I'm a doer. So whenever like whenever there's a crisis, I've got to do something. I'm a fixer. So, um, yeah, I literally um, just started developing my own little website. I had no experience in any any of this. Um, and just started looking at all of the well-being resources that were out there, both veterinary and non-veterinary. And obviously there was a huge amount coming, you know, this is sort of three, four years ago. There was a massive amount being developed. It was just when well-being was becoming, oh, let's be better included at congresses. People are talking mm-hmm. about it more positively. Um, so the idea was to make it as accessible as possible to people on the coalface who were struggling by curating and collating all of the 
the stuff in a way that was made it very easy for people to access. Um, and then, so that was a, a website called Betsnet, and I actually set it up as a social um, enterprise. Um, mm. And then through working with Vetstoga Diversify, obviously, I you know my network just exploded, um, mm. and you know I then came into contact with Vetled. Um, so mm-hmm. Rue Tipney and and oh, Stacey of Vetled. And I remember they, I remember like being amazed because they drove all the way from Buckingham to Cambridge to see me to have a coffee and chat about what I was doing. And in the course of our coffee together, I just said, um, oh, I just think it'd be so cool to have this event where you got like all the vets together. You did, and you know, vet teams, everybody across the vet team and did like sports, but then mixed it with like personal development and wellbeing mm. workshops. And, you know, people can try new things and, you know, it kind of appeals to everybody because we want to move away from this idea that well-being is for needy people who are struggling. Mm. <laughs> like we're all alive. Why, why don't we all want to feel well about everything? Like surely well-being is for absolutely everybody. And mm. even if your well-being is good, you know, there, there are things that could make it even better or make there are things better. that could make you even more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to really like throw it open as a, you know, you can come and do like really hardcore, you know, cycling and running for the weekend, or you can come and do, you know, yoga or, and relaxation, um, or you can come and just do all of these like stress management workshops, recovery from work, you know, really practical stuff. Um, and so together, like pretty much a week later, we'd formed WellVet and within six wow. months, it was in my five-year plan, but this is what, you know, the vet-led team are like. They were like, let's do it in six months. So <laughs> 2018 was the first WellVet event, um, the live event. Um, it was very successful, thankfully. We repeated it in 2019 as a live event. Um, and then obviously with lockdown, went virtual in 2020. So um, that's most of what I, what I do with the well-being stuff now. And it, are you plan- obviously you're planning to do that again? This is it's happening again. Well, we're at the moment we're kind of redeveloping a website. So the original Betsnet website that I had is now outdated. <laughs> um, so we're going to revamp mm-hmm. the, the Wellvet website that's being developed at the moment. So we're going to have some resources on there, um, freely accessible, and then just somewhere that's a bit more organised to have all of our different events. Um, so I think what's going to work well for us is a kind of hybrid of events. So doing some live events and doing some virtual, mm. um, and in mm-hmm. 2020, we're really fortunate to bring Nat Scroggy on board. She's another great person. So oh, now, we love that. I, um, yeah, um, we love that. yeah, she's brilliant. So it's myself mm. and Rue and Nat that are sort of heading it up now. Um, Katie Ford's been joining us as well as so some oh god so I mean it's just like you know let's just all these I just love it like that's like a powerhouse of women (laughs) just like absolutely let's put in like (laughs) like unstoppable I love that and yeah and and all all amazing names I wanted to actually it was interesting you mentioned Rue and she's come up a couple of times I was I actually funnily enough was on a call with Rue uh this week and it's the first time I've actually spoken to her you know or or spoken to her and what you know I came off that call just thinking right wow yeah I mean we should all do what they are telling us to do because it's really so powerful and actually one of the things she said to me that really stuck with me is the fact it was kind of similar to what you were saying about well-being it's not for needy people or people that are whatever Mm -hmm. x y and z and and actually also it's about being proactive rather than reactive rather than all of us being like absolutely rinsed and depressed 
and then doing something about it. Why not actually do something about the thing that makes us all completely burnt out and, and disastrous in the first place? And and so her their whole way of kind of speaking and thinking for me was just so inspirational because it made much more sense to do it that way around rather than being so mm. reactive to an an endemic problem. Yeah, and that's the thing, like we're not trying to in any way replace the work that anybody else does in terms of the actually meeting that kind of crisis need. Um, you know, obviously yes. vet life being absolutely key in that. Yes. We want to kind of help support yeah. that by almost being the more preemptive, proactive, you know, sort of stepping in when when things are, are easy. And obviously you can phone vet life at any time, you know, not <clears throat> you don't have to wait till crisis point. The, the earlier intervention, the better. And I you know, as vets and, you know, as nurses, we're, we're used to telling people that prevention is better than cure. You know, why not use preventative medicine? Because it's much better than using, you know, um, having to firefight the problems and treat the illness. Like, let's take a much more preventative and now these days holistic. And I don't mean that in a kind of crystal wafting sense. I mean that in a holistic of, you know, feed well, exercise well, um, you know, and um, have preventative medication for your pet and do the same for yourself um, and that's why Wellvet has always been mind body soul because there's a, a real soul element for me that was that was the kind of thing that made me shift out of my dream job was you know I was lonely we're, we're relational beings so an element of Wellvet is always about that relational but there's a big em emphasis on the kind of social side of things and building a community and a network and support um, and that's kind of almost the next phase we want to do with Wellbet is helping to facilitate that, you know, at a local level, kind of across the, the veterinary um, sort of ecosystem. And, you know, then there's obviously the, the mind and body, which are just so inextricably linked. You know, there's there's very little that you can physically do or mentally do that doesn't impact the other. Um, and, you know, I think more and more physical ailments and things are being tied into the fact that okay well this is going to have a mental health impact and we've got to address both in concert you know and it's the same with the kind of prevention side um so yeah it's just about encouraging people and you know I thought I was fine I thought I didn't need anything else I was like you know I'm doing this for everybody else because I, I you know I like I go for runs and that's great and I do this and that's great and it works for me but just as a result of running well there I've picked up so much that has made my life on a day-to-day -day basis significantly better um so yeah I think there's absolutely something in it for everybody for sure and just just as a disclaimer, if you do like to waft crystals, that's totally fine as well. Like that can be an yeah, addition. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that can be a, an I've addition. I've never tried it until. <laughs> so that just so just uh, maybe I'm putting you on the spot. I'm I'm interested now from what you've said. Can you think of one thing then that you've you know you've obviously created this amazing thing actually. Um, can you think of one thing particularly, some sort of standout moment or some sort of take home message that you've uh that that's hit you doing the the kind of well vet thing and being on that journey um i'm not sure if there's a kind of a take-home message but i think probably the biggest learning for me is just how many great people are you know within our community and not the well vet community like the veterinary community that have great ideas and you know, there's so much collaboration now and there's so much going on that individuals are setting up and doing mm -hmm. and this sense of let's help each other to do stuff. And, you know, 
um, I just love what is coming out from almost the kind of grassroots. <laughs> There's yes. so much cool stuff happening. Yes. And that's what's, you know, that's what's really like well, that's great. But there's the, you know, there's vet yogi and there's what you yes. guys are doing. There's vet fit, and there's just there's just so many people doing yeah. really, really great stuff. So I think for me, the biggest learning has been if you just like Velvet's really just a facilitator, <laughs> you know, it's just the platform for all the fabulous stuff that people are doing you know um yeah. and there's so many people you know training as coaches and bringing stuff to the you know their learnings as a as a professional and as a um as a coach and that you know each of them has their own different flavor and style and you know yeah. there's so many kind of great gifts being developed um yeah. i think that's really my take home is actually yeah. until you start exploring that you don't realize quite what richness there is you know and I think that's so true. And what I love there is that I, I love that gr- that grassroots thing. Because I think, speaking from my own experience, you know, with VTX, we felt so overwhelmed at the beginning because we just felt so tiny in this kind of big space. Mm. And I think, but I got over that really quickly. And actually, it doesn't, it size doesn't, it's not about like how big an organization you're in or, or whatever. It's, it really is about the impact. And I remember Casey Ford, you know, you know, again, you know, as we were obsessing over, our reach on social media or how many followers and she's like it doesn't matter forget numbers don't think about how many followers or how many or how big this whatever is it's about the engagement you have with the people that you're interacting with and that's important you know the connection and actually that's what I love so much about these collaborations and you mentioned Vet Yogi as well she spoke at our conference just all these amazing people and actually bringing all these smaller bits together we you end up with this amazing effect this kind of like I don't know rocket effect where you just you bring it all the little bits together and actually together we're much stronger and I love that feeling as well um within the community yeah it's absolutely fantastic and um you know and obviously we've, we've mentioned it before but the Vetstogo diversified platform that Ebony set up I mean that's just a an absolute hotbed for you know just kind of fostering these ideas and you know connecting the dots between different people and oh you know you should speak to them because they're doing that so we're no longer siloed in the same way we were before you know the dots are joining up more and more and it just means that you know there's people are helping other people to develop their projects and you know sort of get that exposure and and you're right it's not about numbers of followings it's about it's about the impact you have um and some of the feedback that we've had from, you know, the Wellvet things we've done, you know, just even though you kind of pretty much flog yourself doing it, you know, I need a good week off after organising a Wellvet weekend. But, you know, it really does make it worthwhile for that that impact that you have. You know, it might not be a huge impact for numbers, but it's a, you know, a huge mm-hmm. impact for, for a smaller group of people, you know. Absolutely. And really important. So talking about impact, one of the other things that I think that we we wanted to sort of chat about and I think has a very um, interesting, different, but very powerful impact is vet mums. Um, and that that is, um, I mean, there's so much to talk about there, but I think really important. I think it would be really interesting for people to maybe just understand what vet mums is and, and why you decided that that was a project that you wanted to kind of start. Yeah, it was um, just having kids myself and, you know, you get all of this information when you're pregnant about, you know, um, what pregnancy is like, etc. You know, I was I was very fortunate. We didn't have difficulties getting pregnant the first time, but even getting to that stage can be a real challenge for people. 
Um, and it's one that we've kept private, you know, it's always, you know, you don't really talk about these things, do you? And then one day you turn up and you say, oh, I'm pregnant and have a, you know, a physical bump and things. But even then you don't really talk about it. It's just soldier on, you know, get on with it. It's a natural physiological process. <laughs> and, um, and then I remember like giving birth. And then afterwards, like, for me, it just felt like there was an information void, like having had so much information when you're pregnant, they just go, off you go, there's your baby. We'll check mm. in to make sure that you're doing all right by it, you know, every now and again. And you kind of come home and honestly, it's, um, I've got to choose my words carefully here. It had more of an impact on me than I thought it would. It's probably the best way of saying it, you know. Mm. People don't tell you that your identity is ripped away because you've been, mm. a, you know, a vet in my head I'd been a vet since I was four and then all of a sudden I'm at home going through this three-hour cycle of you know eat change sleep eat change sleep <laughs> day in day out I was like mm. this is this is me there's nothing else to me <laughs> this. Yeah. and um and nobody talks about that stuff and you know I've been very frank in some of my my writing. I did a, a piece for Vet Times, a series called Mum's the Word. Um, and I was very frank because I was sort of saying, you know, you, again, you, you sort of go back to work and you've got milk like staining your <laughs> scrub top because it's leaked through your top yeah. and you're just like, oh, my goodness, no one talks about this. And then mm. I said, you know, so I was like, literally, let's just I was um, a member of a practice at the time that had a lot of um a lot of female vets who would become mums, you know, a sort of similar time as me. And I just put a, a sort of internal message around, say, look, I really would like to set up a Facebook group just for us to chat about this stuff. And then another vet, Joe, uh, messaged me back and said, oh, actually, I set up a vet mums Facebook group when I graduated. Well, we know when I first had kids like five years ago, there's 50 people on it. There's not been a post for years. Let's revive it. So together, Joe and I and, and Lucy um, Godwin, who's the Beaver president, the three of us mm -hmm. together revived it. And like literally overnight, it just exploded because it's like, mm -hmm. so, you know, what bra do you use so that you don't have milk leakage? You know, And these mm -hmm. questions that, I mean, goodness, I've got so many hints and tips that have made my life easier and more practical and mm -hmm. um, stuff that you just can't ask. So it's called Vet Mums because there are certain things that really do just apply to, to mums and we want to make sure that it's a safe space to have those conversations. I can't relate to the milk leakage, sorry. No. no. <laughs> but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a special, a special, yeah, special moment, that one. Um, but um but we but it is you know everybody's welcome to come we have plenty of people in there who are not mums um we have plenty of dads on there as well um everybody is welcome to come in um and join you know we, it's for me it's lovely to see practice managers and sort of heads of practices on there because nobody's going to go up to them and say you know oh, I had a, a difficult day at work today because my hormones were all over the place you know <laughs> but if they're seeing that actually this stuff is really common then when somebody comes up to them and says that perhaps um because we are becoming more open it's not like a, oh my goodness I've never heard of that before it's like oh actually that's really common isn't it like how are you and you know it's um it's really good for people to understand actually how challenging it can be um and I think by providing that that space where these conversations can happen what what we want to be able to do is to help support people through that phase um ultimately to help them you know practically and, and emotionally to stay in their careers for longer um and enjoy their careers more and you know get those balances right because when you're when you're in the middle of it 
and your kids are screaming and you know you've lost your own sense of identity and, and you know you're just like oh my goodness this has got to end someday but I can't see a way out of it and you post on vet mums and a you know a hundred other people say totally with you don't worry it'll end oh you know you feel okay <laughs> and just being able to help people feel okay in those moments is is yeah. huge you know it really so is. I think it's it's interesting isn't it because I'm sure you know it's it as with most of the things all of us do you know these things expand and, and grow arms and legs beyond I'm sure what you ever would have imagined it to be in the beginning um, and it's become a platform actually for lots of different conversations you know sometimes you know people will post clinical stuff on there and 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 you know recommendations about different things but I think um, it, for me also um, and I'm sure this is what you meant it to be it's quite a kind not quite it is a very kind space so I feel that it's a lot of people that are really championing champing, I don't know what the word is Karen championing championing, championing. each <laughs> other um rather you know uh, uh, and I think that comes through very strongly that people are encouraging and kind and I also think as I'm sure you will agree that that is a very important part of this sort of online platform yeah and I think part of that um I'd love to take credit for that but it's not it's just the members that do that <laughs> But I think part of that is because people on there are, are vulnerable and they're showing their vulnerability. And I don't say that in a negative way. Um, for any of you that haven't heard Brené Brown's work on vulnerability, you can't be courageous unless you're first vulnerable. And I think because people come on there and they're authentic and they're raw and they're vulnerable, there's it, it just feeds into that sense of of okay we, we need to be empathetic we need to be supportive you know um because there is a lot of raw emotion on there um and also because a lot of these experiences are so um common to so many of us that like I say we just haven't ever really talked about them before so it's quite cathartic as well so I think because there is that that vulnerability and that honesty and that openness I think the space has just kind of naturally grown like that. Obviously, it's something that we're aware we want to make sure we protect that. And as kind of admins of the group, you know, we do feel a responsibility to do that. And obviously, when it's kind of the size it is and there's lots of postings every day, again, we really ask for members to kind of flag things up to us. Um, but it almost, to a large extent, the members self-police it themselves, you know, because I think everybody understands that and I think everybody buys into that so as soon as it does start to go any other way people are like whoa whoa, whoa you know this person's hurting <laughs> so I think it's um I think just the nature of what it is kind of lends itself to to showing mm. that kindness I think there's a couple of things I think you you spoke about that um you know the idea that you know you get a huge amount of support as a pregnant person and then actually that maybe isn't quite the same after it and I think although I've never been pregnant and, and my family has never experienced a pregnancy, we had a very similar experience where actually the uh, the pre-adoption uh, support and structure is so um, rigorous. You know, you go to this meeting and then this meeting, they come to you, you come to your house then and then and then and then and then. And then there's this panel discussion and then they decide this and it's all. But then then one day, two children come to your house and just stay and then that's it like mm. they're here and and so again we've kind of we were like all right so that's us is that us now are we just doing this okay good so then and you just then you're doing it you know and 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 I suppose you know we never had to experience the pregnancy part but very much similar experience as far as 
that kind of feeling of oh god right now that's us you know and I, I think that is is scary I visited a friend yesterday who um, has a veterinary friend who's just had a baby six weeks ago. And again, actually, she spoke of a very similar experience because there's been some some issues with reflux and also her little baby has um, um, hip dysplasia. But, but um, and again, she was like, yeah, but they didn't tell me about obviously this, you know, so actually, you know, you, you imagine it to be some sort of perfect scenario and hold on, it's not. And that's very overwhelming when it's not quite perfect and it's not perfect <laughs> but we want it oh, to be it really isn't it really is <laughs> you know there you know everyone says it's it's a phase and it's it's yeah. a cliche but it's actually really true but some of those phases are pretty dark and the kind of self you know we're a lot of us are you know high performing perfectionist you know <laughs> um and all of a sudden when you can't even when your baby won't even keep milk down you know when you're struggling to to feed them breastfeed them or whatever the sense of kind of guilt and judgment and am I getting this right? And everyone else seems to, you know, it's like when you see those kids driving a car, you've had your driving lesson, you know, like how do other people do this to make it look so easy? Um, and it, it, you know, with that parenting thing, you see other people making it look easy, whereas actually behind the scenes, they have different struggles or, you know, they, they had a harder phase before or they've got a harder phase coming. Um, but you don't know that and you don't really want to tell people about it because it's sort of, you know maybe it's reflecting badly on me it's like when we do things wrong clinically it's like oh gosh I don't want to you know if people find out about this they're going to get on rubbish but when it's your own child you know and you're so deeply invested in that or you know whether it's you know just caring that kind of caring responsibility I am responsible for this individual you know um it's just an enormous pressure throw into the fact that your body's broken you're completely sleep deprived yeah, like I say I you've lost a lot of what made you you anyway you know it's just this kind of melting pot of of um feeling bad really and and you know unless you have that kind of support where no actually everyone feels like this and it's okay it really does get better and you know hang in there you're doing fine you are doing fine um you know it's mm -hmm. a lot of it is just about reassurance I think um and that everybody everybody has struggles it does, it's interesting because it does get better, but then actually the challenges just keep changing. <laughs> so, oh, like, of it's the next thing and you're like, you're like, oh, the next thing. We had a, you know, and actually this, I, I had to reach out to a number of friends. Um, My seven-year-old was going to a, a birthday party and they didn't want the parents to stay for two hours. And he's, there's been so many challenging behaviours recently and we were just like, we can't let him go, we can't let him go, we can't let him go. This is a disaster. We're going to, they're going to think we're just rubbish, but, you know, but then I can't stay because then he's going to think that, that he's got the only person with a parent staying, what are we going to do? And I, and I phoned one friend actually, who was just, you know, when someone just thinks about something differently from you and she's like, hold on. Okay. So, so what if something happens? It's, uh, so deal with, you know, you deal with it. You've got to give him the opportunity to do this to trust him to do this and if it goes tits up then it goes tits up and we're, the, all the other parents should understand and I was like well okay and we did we did go and it was perfect and he was great and now it was fine but the anxiety about like that decision was just like off the charts but actually that's the kind of discussion I think that if we'd put that on vet mums we would have had some really great and very positive I should have put it on vet moms but that, that would have been a very sorry I should have done that but 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 you know what I mean and that's the kind of thing where actually people will just be like no just 
this is what I would do or, or you know nice things like that encouraging things like that that are very helpful yeah yeah that's right I mean I now say to mum when I drop mine off I'm like just send me the bill for whatever gets trashed <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah so I think well I mean again just another really sort of um uh incredible thing you created so so reflecting on on even just those little and they're only a couple of parts of your career I and and again I say this to almost everyone that comes on um you maybe not like to hear it but but obviously you're very inspiring to very many people for 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 many of the things that you've cultivated and created I wondered if you could chat to us about who inspires you yeah gosh so many people um pretty much everybody that's ever spoken at Wellvet, um, I find a huge inspiration. Um, and people that have, you know, done different things with their careers. Um, oh, it's really hard to actually start naming names because there are literally so many. And, you know, I'm inspired by all the vet mums of just posting on there and being honest and some of the things they've gone through. Um, and the way that people can turn things from negatives to positives. Um, you know, I'm so fortunate because uh, I, I'm in so many networks um, that, yeah, I, I just meet inspiring people daily. And I just, and I actually have, okay, I'm going to, to avoid not offending anybody in the vet space, you all know who you are. You're all fantastic. Everyone I've ever worked with is such a privilege. Um, but actually some people that hugely inspire me is the mums in my village. So there's a group of mums in my village that, you know, have all had kids around the same time. Um, and they're all now at the stage that they're developing their own businesses. So we've got a yoga teacher, a stylist, someone that's got her own PR company, another one that's developed cognitive sports therapy. So I'm surrounded by these amazing powerhouse women. And they're not just doing it as a, you know, it's not just a little side hobby. These are incredible businesses they've built. So for me, when I drop the kids off at school, I'm just surrounded by inspiring, amazing people. Um, and that's the start and end of my day is seeing that. And I think, you know, surrounding yourself with those people that really inspire you um, and also that kind of they ground you as well. Like, yeah. actually, everybody's doing really cool stuff. And that's what I think I totally agree with that, where you know, you come across a new initiative, you know, that a veterinary professional is doing and whether it's, you know, they're starting to do coaching or they're, you know, like you, you mentioned vet fit and different things, you know, it, you're just like, wow, that's really cool. Like, and what good for you for, for, for having that idea, but then good for you for actually doing it. Cause it's, it is hard, you know, when you're starting from nothing you know an idea in your kitchen when you're a bit hungover or whatever um that was vtx's creation point <laughs> so you know but like yeah but yeah. you know but that's what we see liz and i were just a bit like oh you know let's take a bit more control and i think and it is a bit it's amazing i think what 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 people have done and and like you say there's just so many inspiring people um so one of the questions, and this has been answered in a, a, a number of different ways, and sometimes people are like, mm, I don't know how to answer that question, but I'm going to ask you. So um, we've started to ask people the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, yeah, I mean, that's I can answer that easily. So I'll probably have my own clothing line. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. I love that. Maybe I'll be an astronaut. <laughs> right, that too. Well, that Richard Branson's just been up. I'm sure you can tag yeah. along. Yeah. I honestly you know I, I don't know and the, the lovely thing about you know where I am today is I've done loads of stuff 
Um, some of it's worked well, some of it hasn't worked so well, but I've learned at every stage of the process and I've discovered a skill set I never knew I had. Um, you know, I didn't know I'd be good at communications and now, you know, um, I'm, I'm head of communications for a global company that employs over 200 people. You know, if you told me that, I'd have been like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, so that, you know, in all honesty, I'm just, I mean, to be honest, I'm enjoying the journey. Yeah. Um, you know, I think when you're at school, you go from lesson to lesson to lesson. Um, and there are some that you enjoy more than others. And I kind of feel like when you say what you're going to be when you grow up, um, you know, I'm just going through my different lessons and figuring out what I enjoy the most. Um, and it could lead me anywhere. And I think actually one of the things is that I've certainly learned very much, uh, and I think you've touched on this a little bit, is the fact that when you are eight years old or 12 years old and you are very defined about what you want to be when you grow up, which is a vet, I think what we need to be teaching children is that that, okay, for now, that would be, that's fine. Yeah, do that. But then it could change. You know, you can, it doesn't have to be one thing. And I think that's, that's yeah. the key thing we do, you know, teaching our children that you have to decide what you want to be when you grow up. And it's just one thing. Let's have a list. Let's have, think about, you know, because it, it might be different when you're 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60, Who you know, I think, and that's important for us to embrace the fact that we can change and it doesn't always have to be the way it was to begin with. And I think that's the amazing thing about people like you and Vets Stego Diversify. It gives people that voice and that um, permission to be like, oh no, I'm going to do a clothing line. I really want you to do a clothing line now. That's what you, that's what you should do. I will, I, I champion the clothes. Let's do that. Yes. <laughs> Let's do that. Um, so um, the, I, I don't know, do I know, do I know the answer to this question? So I suppose then if you were to do it all again and, and, and have that UCAS application in front of you, would you still apply to go to vet school? Yeah, and it, I mean, if I hadn't got into vet school, I'd have been an interior designer. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, I, I think, okay, so I, I guess the best way for me to, to think about it now, because I think I think we we're in a different era when I did my UCAS form, because everybody had a career for life, you know, most of the mums are at home, and I think times have just changed so much, you know, they say now the average person has seven careers in their lifetime, um, there's a lot more kind of co-parenting, working families, etc., cetera, um, where both parents are working. There's um, such a, sh a shift in the amount of information. You know, in the 1980s, information doubled every 10 to 12 years. Well, now it's doubling every 12 hours. So I think the world when my kids are older is going to look very different. And when I say older, they're like seven and nine. So like in 10 years time when they're thinking about jobs, it's going to look very different. We don't even know what the job market's going to look like at that stage. I mean, everyone might be having to do environmental stuff by that stage, you know, genuinely, it's really hard to predict. So what I'm teaching my girls is to get along with people, number one, and just to be open to developing new skills. Um, and I've said, you know, it's great to be academic because getting exams is a is a portal to opening more doors. But if you're not academic, it's not the end of the world at all. Um, you know, my my husband um, is a plumber and left school at 16 um, and has had a far better quality of life, um, you know, as a plumber and, and earned equivalent to me um, through throughout his career. Um, and, you know, when I was still at university, he'd been working for 10 years and had a house, you know, so the, kind of teaching them to actually um, work on the things that you're good at, be they academic or not, 
get on with people and be prepared to be flexible and try stuff. Um, and I think if you, you know, if I if it was to fill in my UCAS form and I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to be a vet, or even if I had gone through vet school and thought halfway through this isn't for me, I think the message needs needs to be that's fine because everything is a step to something else, and it's not about some career destination. It's about the journey every day. You know, it's, it's pointless just slogging away to retirement you know <laughs> as some like beautiful panacea in the future it's about you know what what do I do today that's enjoyable and if this isn't working for me what else can I do that didn't answer your question at all did it yeah no it definitely didn't actually my my t- I love that my take home from that is actually so there I've learned something to do Let, can I put let's put this on vet mums now that bit of advice about you know the academic stuff is like it's fine and it is a portal you're absolutely right there's in the world we live in and that's not changing anytime soon that the academic portal is a real thing right but if you I tell you what gets you further in life than any of that stuff is the fact that you know getting on with people there's the key thing right there if you can get on with people then obviously I've always felt like and this I'm I've always felt that that is more important successful people to me are the ones actually that do exactly that and I don't I I forget how clever they are it doesn't matter it doesn't matter but if you're kind and you're and you get on with people and actually when we went round our boys school you know I remember that was the reason we we went they ended up going to the schools because they said to me you know we 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 try our best to to teach our children as much as possible here but we don't care how academic they are we just want them to be kind I mean, it always makes me a bit emotional, but I think that's really true, isn't it? Really, God, that always gets me. But it's really true, isn't it? It does, doesn't yeah, it? I know, I know every time I say that, but that I remember that moment, thinking, "There, that's it. That's right there. That's what we should be teaching our children." You know, like yeah. it's not, it's not just about the grades. And I think there's, um, it's, it's that kind of, it's that emotional intelligence piece for yourself. It's that self awareness, and then being able to understand, you know, other people's emotions and that they might be different. You know, I think. I think that emotional intelligence thing you see in fact this is the this is the latest book I've got on my shelf this emotional agility book by Susan David so I heard her on a podcast Uh. and I was like that is it you know once you figure out um how to make your emotions work for you and negative emotions aren't to be trampled on and hidden They're, they're signposts you know um and once you kind of figure out your own signposts and figure out other people's signposts then you can just go together through the journey of life so much happier you know because you've got that understanding amazing so just amazing Uh, so just to to finish off um sadly the the, i i suppose my question to you would be and again it's hard always choosing one of anything isn't it but um if if there was one piece of advice that you could give people just broadly i suppose as far as what you've learned along the way that has really helped you what what piece of advice would that be um just follow your passions you know be be prepared to try stuff um if, if it interests you and if you're not sure what your passions are if you're just like mm, I'm just in a bit of a funk I don't really know what I want to do um do what I did and just chat to lots of people look up meetups online because there are there are lots of them all over the, the world um where different people just come along and talk about different stuff you know related to their jobs and lives etc um and yeah just be prepared to to explore and and find something I said passionate can be a bit of a cliche because you know I'm not passionate about everything I do um but but find something that yeah you enjoy getting up for um 
and um and just explore and be be braver great great advice i love that and it's so true and just just being aware that 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 we that being a vet is just not one thing in any way shape or form it's so many different things you know and it's the possibilities are truly endless i think you know what i mean um so you can be a clothing designer or taylor swift or whoever you want to be that was my answer who do i want to be when i grow up is taylor swift nice it's not going to happen now I think I've missed that boat. Um, well, listen, Liz. Honestly, thank you so much for uh, thank you so much for chatting today. I hope. Well, I, I, we've enjoyed it. I hope you have. Yeah, no, it's been lovely. Thank you. Thanks, Liz. A massive thank you to Liz for chatting today. Honestly, what a joy um, to have that conversation with you. We're, we're just, we're so honoured to have you on the podcast. We're moving into our clinical segment now. We're following on from last week, just talking a little bit about urolithiasis. And last week we talked about some of the kind of background about why urolithis might form and how we might go about diagnosing them. And this week we're going to talk about urolith removal. Um, so really when it comes to stones within the urinary tract, we're talking about either medically dissolving them, surgically removing them, which is often the kind of default for many of us um, as far as uh, urolith management. There are some um, newer techniques um, uh, where we can sometimes remove stones or stone fragments with the cystoscope um, and also um, the option for laser lithotripsy, which is a way of actually Again, using the cystoscope, breaking down stones into smaller fragments and then maybe removing them uh, with the cystoscope. And so more kind of minimally invasive procedures. So surgery very much is, is, is often a go-to and there's no doubt that that often is the right option for patients. But I think just thinking about some of the other options is valuable too. One of the biggest issues with going to cystoscopy to remove stones from the bladder is that the potential sort of running the risk of of not removing all the stones and that's something that we certainly have to be aware of there are certainly some things we can do I, I'm no surgeon but you know things like having a urinary catheter in place during the surgical procedure to make sure that stones don't fall back into the urethra uh, during the surgery and um, things like that to try and prevent uh, the, the situation where we're leaving stones stones in and actually also using suction sterile suction within the bladder uh, to, to really make sure you're getting all those little bits of stones out during the procedure. The other concern with surgery or a couple of concerns is obviously that, that there is always the chance of recurrence. Sometimes we can't do anything to, to stop that. You know, we can do all that we can to medically manage uh, some stones. But to be honest with you, there are some stones that will recur and, and, and actually that's out with, um, you know, out with our, our control. As far as very, very small stones, so stones that, that are potentially able to pass but are causing lots of irritation within the bladder and urethra can sometimes be removed actually with a urinary catheter. So even passing a catheter into the bladder and then suctioning the material within the bladder, you may be able to get some of these smaller stones out uh, more rapidly uh, with that sort of approach. In patients that are not showing any symptoms, then potentially 
we've got a little bit more time in our hands to kind of deal with these stones. Obviously, in symptomatic patients, uh, your decision making is sort of changed a little bit. But in asymptomatic patients, we maybe want to think about all the strategies that are available to us uh, as far as uh, you managing these stones. So, for instance, if we are dealing with struvite stones, then obviously we would use a combination of often antibiotics and diet and maybe urine uh, acidifiers um, to medically manage those stones. With cysteine stones, uh, we may use prescription diets like UD to try and manage those. With urate stones, again, using uh, prescription diets may be a way of managing uh, managing those. So we maybe think a little bit about other options that are not necessarily immediately surgical options, particularly in those cases that are asymptomatic. Apart from medical dissolving, the other technique that maybe is slightly underused is avoiding urohydropropulsion. Now, this is something that's quite difficult to explain on a podcast, so I would I would recommend you look up this procedure. But basically, this is a procedure where animals do have to be anaesthetized. Uh, the bladder uh, is uh, distended. Uh, the animal is held up in a kind of vertical position uh, and the bladder is expressed in a slightly more forceful way to try and void stones uh, that are within uh, the bladder. Now, this is obviously not appropriate for every situation and these stones have got to be um, small they've got to be likely to pass pass through the urethra and and the dog has got to be suitable to be lifted up Um, again this is a procedure that I would have a look at you'll see what I mean when you see a kind of diagram of it but ultimately we're using a bit of gravity positioning of the dog distension of the bladder and then uh, you know a manual kind of expression of the bladder to remove uh, some of these smaller uh, some of these smaller stones so that's a procedure that's worth having a little look at and again minimally invasive wise and this will depend a little bit on what kit you've got available but there is the option to retrieve some stones with cystoscopy And even in some centres, lasering stones down to smaller sizes and then removing them with cystoscopy. But that's dependent a little bit on obviously available equipment. And then the only other thing is that there is a quite a cool technique we do called percutaneous cystolithotomy, which is basically... This is really good for kind of male dogs where it's more difficult to get a cystoscope into the bladder, where a very small incision is made in the abdominal wall. So it's a it's a very minimal approach to the bladder surgically, where actually a scope is placed into the bladder, but through an abdominal incision. And that can be a way of, again, sort of min- doing some of these minimally invasive techniques in patients that you're not as necessarily able to easily get a scope uh, up the urethra. With symptomatic patients, your decision making is different and you can do all of those minimally invasive invasive techniques, but it may be that actually for a number of reasons, size of stone, etc, not uh, maybe amenable to medical dissolving, uh, then you do have to proceed to removing these these stones in a classic kind of surgical uh, way. So um. We're going to talk just a little bit now about some of the different sort of stone types and we'll we'll cover a couple today. So uh, just talking about some of the more common uh, stone types, we've obviously got calcium uh, oxalate and calcium oxalate can be a tricky stone because actually ultimately calcium oxalate is not 
a stone that is suitable for dissolving. Um, and so this is something that is challenging because these stones, we know if they are causing a problem within the bladder, you are going to have to remove in some way, whether that be surgical, surgically or, or some less invasive way. And then really what we need to do is put in place diets that we know kind of reduce uh, the chance of calcium oxalate uh, reforming. Um, and there are various prescription diets that have, have that property. As far as the other things that we can modify, we want to promote an acidic environment within the urine for calcium oxalate stones. Um, and so the administration of potassium citrate is potentially helpful to achieve a more favourable urine pH. So you really want that to be uh, lower than uh, 6.5 or uh, 6.5 or lower. The diet may do that, but you may need to add potassium citrate uh, as, a, as a complement to that. The other thing is obviously, uh, and never a bad thing to do, is, is increasing uh, water intake and making sure that we're getting the specific gravity of the urine down. That's always an important thing to consider. Calcium oxalate are tricky because I think they are ones that you want to be keeping a close eye on. I would be radiographing these patients every six months because they are prone to recurrence despite medical therapy. And the other thing I'd be aware of, particularly in cats, um, is making sure that you're assessing their systemic calcium status. So particularly cats who are prone to developing things like idiopathic hypercalcemia, I would be making sure that you're assessing ionized calcium to make sure that there are not other things you can be doing to be managing uh, these sorts of um, these sorts of stones. And then good old struvite, just to finish off today. Ultimately, when we've got struvite as stones, the first thing we're thinking of is, is there an infection there? Because bacteria that produce urease, uh, urease producing bacteria, we know are responsible uh, for the formation of struvite um, in alkaline urine. Generally, we, we're dealing with struvite that are associated with infection. Some struvite are sterile, but uh, we, we must be assessing for infection in these cases. And, and, and one of the main things with struvite is that they really are amenable to then medical dissolution uh, with a, 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 you know, a combination of diet, uh, appropriate uh, prescription diet for struvite dissolving, uh, as well as treating the, uh, the, the infection if that is there. Um, so diet plus antimicrobial therapy is really the cornerstone of struvite management. Antimicrobial and dietary therapy should continue until resolution of urolis um, on ultrasound or, or uh, you know, or, or radiograph. Um, ultrasound is, is, is sometimes a little bit better in these situations because remember when stones get very small, you're not going to see them. So either continuing that therapy until you don't see them anymore on ultrasonography or one month, continuing therapy one month beyond uh, radiographic resolution of struvite urolis. And the reason for continuing it one month after the radiographic resolution is because obviously very small urolis are not going to be seen on uh, radiographs. Really important that after, about seven days after starting antimicrobial therapy, I would obtain a sample for cystocentesis for urinalysis and culture to make sure uh, that you're getting on top of that infection. That's really important. And again, the 
monitoring of the of, of once you've dissolved them hopefully the monitoring is really important the you want to be doing um potentially um periodic three to six month urine cultures and again considering longer term medical management as far as dietary therapy uh, to help prevent the recurrence of this sort of um this sort of urolith Okay, so um, next time we'll we'll finish up with some of the other um, specific stones, but I think we'll leave it there for today. Massive thank you again to Liz uh, for joining us today, um, and a really big thank you to you as always for your ongoing support. Your support of the podcast really is. Uh, it means a huge amount to to Karen and I, and we're we're just so pleased that you keep um, keep listening. Um, we forget sometimes that people are listening, but we're so pleased that you do. To learn more about VTX, please head over to our website, which is www.vtx-cpd.com. Big thank you again to everyone, and we will see you next week. <laughs>